What would it be like to help work on and restore the actual James Bond vehicles used in the movies long before they go to the public exhibits and shows, like Bond in Motion? Well, we were invited to a work weekend to do exactly that. Come with us as we get to help work on some of the vehicles from the James Bond movies with the Ian Fleming Foundation. This is Dan and Tom of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Join us as we walk you through this amazing experience. Hi, my name's Doug Redenius, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Ian Fleming Foundation. And currently, I sit as the archivist to the foundation, and I look after 43 James Bond vehicles that we use to raise money for charity. Yeah, now, we were privileged to attend the Ian Fleming Foundation work weekend. This is one of the times during the year that the foundation spends working on their inventory, restoring vehicles, and having a great time telling James Bond stories. And it was really a blast. Yeah. So if you remember the episode we did with Doug Redenius from the Ian Fleming Foundation, he talked about the vehicles they had in the foundation. And they get together and they work on these things, and Dan and I got to go for this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's really cool. Now what we're doing in this episode is we're including some audio clips from the event itself. We'll be releasing a video version of this on our YouTube channel, but we want you to hear from them the members of the foundation, some of the work they had to do on these vehicles. It was amazing. When we watch James Bond movies from Goldfinger forward, we're anticipating the vehicles that might appear in this next spy thriller. Goldfinger set the gold standard for the franchise going forward. Not only with the Aston Wait, Martin. I get that, Dan. Goldfinger set the gold standard. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Not only with the Aston Martin DB5 tripped out with cool gadgets, but with the Goldfinger Lockheed Jetstar private jet and Goldfinger's Rolls-Royce Phantom 3. So we love to see the next iterations in the upcoming movies. And we love to see these vehicles on exhibition. The Bond in Motion exhibit, for example, has been a huge success in many parts of the world. The Peterson Automotive Museum had a great show of Bond vehicles in Los Angeles in the United States. The public craves seeing these screen-used, movie-used vehicles from helicopters to underwater sleds to cars, boats, and more. Very, very cool stuff. Well, the Ian Fleming Foundation that we're talking about here was founded over 30 years ago by Dr. Michael L. Van Blaircom, John Cork, and Doug Redenius. We are honored to know two of them personally now. Part of its mission is to seek out and search the world for actual movie-used James Bond vehicles, to restore them where appropriate, and to loan them out for exhibition. And they now own 43 James Bond vehicles from the movies. So when you go to a James Bond vehicle exhibition, a lot of the vehicles came from the Ian Fleming Foundation. And they are a nonprofit organization, and they're funded through donations. With those donations, Dan, they do charity work as well, right? So, yes, they do. So if you, the listener, wants to go to ianflemingfoundation.org, you can help them continue their efforts. Yes, they'll, we've donated they, you know, and we will continue to donate because it is a thrill to see these vehicles. And these guys, this organization, the Ian Fleming Foundation, makes it possible. Terrific. All right, we were invited 
to participate in a work weekend, like Tom mentioned, where a select group of people, like 30 in the world, right, Tom? It was like 30 people in the Something world. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> assembled to help restore and preserve these precious vehicles. We are thrilled beyond belief. Really, Tom, it reminded me in a big way when we traveled to Indiana University, their Lilly Library, to study 11 of Ian Fleming's original Bond manuscripts. That was a thrill. And we have an episode on that, so you can check that out when we talk about the edits that Fleming made in pen, right on the type pages that he typed in Jamaica that changed the stories that we're so familiar with now. Well, we're now seeing and touching and helping to restore the actual vehicles used in the James Bond 007 movies. Holy gee. Wow. It was so cool. And Dan, so like we got there at slightly different times, right? Yep. And we had to get him into a secure location. It's a yeah. secret location. And when you got there, what was the first thing you saw? Yeah, I, I get there. Literally, I get out of my vehicle. The first thing I see is the Mustang from Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, and you're a Mustang fan. Yeah, I love Mustangs. <laughs> I have a Mustang now, and I had a 66 Mustang a couple of years after they first came out. They had it on a custom-built metal platform that was angled so that the car looked like it did in the movie on two wheels. Wow. <laughs> I thought, this is, I'm already thrilled. I just got out of the car. I'm already thrilled. I got, oh my God. Now, they wanted See, when to. See, when I got there, it wasn't on two wheels. No, it was flat they, on the ground. They, they wanted to remove it from this custom made frame and they wanted to set it on the ground so they could okay. wheel it into one of their storage areas. So <laughs> they secured straps all around the vehicle. And then, I'm in awe here, as Doug Redenius climbs up a Caterpillar hydraulic excavator and precisely lifts the car by the straps and places it gently on the pavement. (laughs) I'm thinking, I just got here. Oh, my God. This is incredible. What a start. And, oh, yeah, uh, this just wasn't any Caterpillar excavator. It's the one from Skyfall. Yeah. You know, Dan, let me stop you here for a second because you're talking about this being a yeah. work weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Doug invited us to this thing, I, I know, at least for me, there was some trepidation. <laughs> I, I'm not a handyman at all. You know, to me, the greatest invention in the world is a telephone so I can call somebody and have them come do something. Because <laughs> I, I know that there's a screwdriver with a cross at the head, and that's called a Phillips. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that go. there's a star, and it's called a Torx. But that's about it. Oh, wait. Lefty, loosey, righty, tighty. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Other than We're that, ready, Doug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I am not a good handyman at all. Yeah, now, I know Fortunately, there, there was some stuff for a cloud like me to do yeah. this weekend. But I was a little worried about that because I am not a handyman. Yeah, I've used <laughs> some tools too. But, uh, yeah, I have to yeah. say, I was worried a little bit about what he did. But he figured it out. <laughs> yeah, he figured out we didn't know what the hell we were doing. But the cool thing was, we get to this top secret location, right? And it's, again, it's a secure location. We had to get brought in. And you were blown away by the Mustang. When I got there, what I first noticed was the helicopter. <laughs> and helicopter? so they have the, they have the <laughs> helicopter from, from Russia with Love. In uh-huh. fact, it's the vehicle from the first Bond movie that they have a vehicle from. And they're looking for stuff from Dr. No, if you've got anything. 
but uh, that that it, it just was like you tur- I turned the corner. It was like, whoa, that's the that's the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, the other thing that got me with this was when you see most vehicles in a museum, they're all shiny and they look like they just came off the set. Yeah. And many of these vehicles did. When we went to Bond in Motion in London, most of the vehicles were nice and shiny. They had some that were beat up. Yeah, from, and it was from amazing the to watch. Yeah. yeah, from the movies. They were beat up during the filming of the movie. Yeah. So it was interesting to see. But most of the time when you go to a museum, you're seeing it all spiffed up. Yeah, yeah. These guys are the guys that spiff them up. <laughs> 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 what they do is absolutely stunning. And Tom and I, for two days, are watching these guys participating to the degree we could. And it's just absolutely amazing what they can do. But. A lot of times these these vehicles do come in pretty beat up. And that's the case both with this we're going to mention the Goldfinger plane and this Kenworth cab from License to Kill. But what? You're going to say a Goldfinger plane? Well, we're going to talk about that. But a lot of the times they come in beat up. Now, if it's beat up in the movie, they don't restore that part just because that's how it looked from the movie. But They'll try to restore the stuff that really is beat up that shouldn't be beat up. And they have tremendous stories. Listen to that podcast episode with Doug Redenius where he tells how they find these vehicles and what they do and the condition they're in sometimes when they find them. And Tom and I saw some of this live right there. And it it's wild. It is wild. It, it really is. And again, I'm not a handyman, so I'm watching these guys do some of this stuff and it's like, how did you do that? And, how, and you do that, and it makes it look like that? That's so cool. Yeah, and these guys are all volunteers. So nobody's getting paid for this. We had 30 people there that were volunteering, and they volunteer on a regular basis to do this so that these vehicles could be loaned out for exhibition, they could raise some money for charities, and they could acquire new vehicles. So donations are tremendously important for them. But they're volunteering to do this and they put hundreds of hours of work into these vehicles and we'll talk about some of that in a little bit so one of the cool things when you say when you say they right let's talk a little bit about who some of these people are right so they've got ex-airplane mechanics and pilots yeah ex-firefighters yeah car guys body shop guys these guys who knew how to make a helicopter start i wouldn't even know where to begin (laughs) on that one it is so, amazing the talent they have and then how they transfer that talent to these vehicles. And absolutely. that is the stunning part that you just watch them and you go, holy God, this is. Well, especially when wild. they tell us about how beat up some of this stuff was. Yeah, right. So one of the cool things when talking to these guys was having them pull out some of their photo albums. Oh, yeah. <laughs> showing yeah. the actual condition of, of some of these vehicles when they came to the foundation, uh, the before and after and along the way pictures showing the restoration process and some of these were just very impressive and so cool to see. It looked impossible. <laughs> well, and the thing is, some of this stuff is old. Yeah, yeah. So where do you, where do you find the parts for these? And yeah. that's a, that's a big part of their challenge. Yeah. Is where do you find the parts to a Lockheed Jetstar plane? Yeah. From back in the early 60s when they shot Goldfinger. I mean, the very first vehicle they ever owned 
was the submarine Neptune <laughs> from For Your <laughs> Eyes Only. I mean, huh? yeah. <laughs> come on. One of the guys was telling us a story when Doug first called him over to see it. He said it was on his front lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> this was the beginning of the Ian Fleming Foundation. So Dan, let's you know you you mentioned the Neptune. So let's go ahead and talk about just a few of the vehicles because there's a bunch of vehicles and, and stuff there, right? So yeah. they own 43 James Bond vehicles. Twenty something were out on loan at exhibitions as we were there. So that's pretty cool. So th- this stuff is going all over the world. And it starts right here with these guys fixing these vehicles up. It's amazing. So we're going to talk about some of the stuff we saw while we were there and the vehicles that were there, and then some of the highlighted ones, some of the ones we want to really, really stress. And we'll do this by playing some of the audio from the videos we took while we were there. We'll let these people who've done the work explain it from their perspective. Yeah, very cool. So why don't we start this with the San Francisco fire engine that was used in a view to a kill? I mean, part of the reason for that, it was the first one in the place we were there. Yeah. But it was really cool because it was it was there. It looked like it did in the in the movie. Yeah. But how did it get there? Well, it was an American LaFrance engine. There were actually multiple trucks used in the movie, but this is from the version of the truck that jumped over the bridge. Yeah. Which is so cool. That's the coolest part, right? And, I mean, here it is. They have the cab of this. They didn't have the whole a trailer part of it where, you know, they're driving the back end of it and all that kind of thing. They had the cab of it and it just was amazing. There it is sitting there. All right. So Leonard Johnson was at the work weekend and he did some of the extensive work on the restoration of this cab. This alone was worth the trip really for us. (laughs) Really having him talk through this was just so cool. Fantastic. So let's listen as he talks about the engine, how they got it and what they had to do to restore it. Hi, my name is Leonard Johnson. I'm a member of the Ian Fleming Foundation, and we obtain, restore, and uh, pass on to museums around the world James Bond vehicles. I'm a retired firefighter, was a 21-year career firefighter, and a tradesman in construction as a bricklayer and stonemason for 30 years. But um, I'm retired now, and I have the honor of helping out and uh, restoring these beautiful vehicles from the Bond movies. What you have here is... Uh, 1964 American LaFrance 900 series that was in the Bond movie with Roger Moore and Tanya Roberts, A View to a Kill in 1985. This uh, cab that we have actually had a section with a a long uh, aerial ladder and a tiller man that controlled the rear end uh, that was in the movie and it was in a chase scene. So after filming, San Francisco Fire Department decided to keep the tiller section of the uh, uh, fire truck. But Eon Productions and Pinewood Studios back in London needed the cab, so they shipped it over to England where they finished up filming uh, the movie of You Two Kill. And then uh, an older gentleman obtained the uh, cab of the engine. It was sitting in a bar for many years until they put it up for auction a few years ago when we put a bid in and uh, we were able to win the auction and obtain it. It was transported across uh, the Atlantic in a shipping container to New York and then delivered on a flatbed to our home base here, which is top secret. But anyway, uh, we've done a major restoration on it. 
most of it is all original. We did uh, require some other uh, artifacts and pieces here and there, but overall, it's turned out to be a beautiful restoration project, and we hope to pass it on for the public to enjoy the future. Then Leonard took us inside the cab. This is the interior of the American La France 1964-900 series cab. They made this model uh, for approximately 12 years, from 1959 to 1971. And when we received it, it was in uh, a very, very bad condition. So I was able to disconnect a lot of the uh, electronical wires and gauges and all that, took the dash out and basically took all the instruments apart, cleaned them and put everything back together and restored it. As you can see it to its original condition in its current state. And this is the seat that Roger Moore sat in in the move the chase scene. And Tanya Roberts was sitting right next to him. It's, it's quite a historic vehicle. Uh, the cap is fiberglass, so it can be removed as a convertible. The cap, unfortunately, fell off the truck on transport before it hit our area, broke it to several pieces. The driver was able to uh, go back and pick everything up. And we had a major rebuild restoration of the cap, which turned out beautiful as well. So the foundation does a, a great job. It has a lot of expert people that know what they're doing to bring all these Bond vehicles back to their beautiful conditions as they were in the movies. That sounded like a line from The Sopranos. <laughs> the cab fell <laughs> off the truck. <laughs> yeah, but, the cab fell off the truck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we got this one thing I love. One thing I love there is, when he mentioned that during the movie, someone was in the tiller, well, yeah. and, you know, or or the, that they had the 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 extension and somebody's in the tiller driving it. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the movie, that was James Bond. Right. And Stacy was up in the cab driving it when they did the jump over the bridge. Yeah. And I also like the fact that he talked about the design hadn't changed that much over the years. Right. Right. Which allowed them to get cab parts. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because they were able to get this stuff because. There were enough years of stuff to be able to get the old parts that they needed. Yeah. And it's just incredible. The story is the incredible part, too. Not only the, the restoration that these guys do, but the story of how they acquire these things is just absolutely fascinating. All right, let's take a look now at the Cessna from License to Kill. You might remember Sanchez trying to escape in a Cessna plane. Well, we talked with Colin Clark from the Ian Fleming Foundation to have him fill us in about this one, how they got it and how it was used, how they got it back to their location. So let's let him talk about this plane, and then we'll ask a few questions at the end. But now remember, Ron Sanchez has used this plane to escape, and then Bond and the DEA go after him, if you recall, in a helicopter, and they capture this plane midair. So... After this podcast episode is over, go check out our interview with Robert Davi, who played Sanchez. Fascinating stories he has about making that movie and his character in that movie. All right, here is Colin Clark, a board of directors member of the Ian Fleming Foundation, telling us about the Cessna. License to kill Ron Sanchez's plane. Yes, we're going to go fishing. <laughs> What's unique about this airplane, we have some vehicles that are called special effects vehicles and uh, vehicles that the stunt people turn into to do stunts. This is a special effects plane. There was two mock airplanes they made to match the flying Cessna. 
There was one on a tripod at a nearby airport, a 15-foot, three tripods, and Dalton was lowered down onto that one for the close-up shots. This one, they had the helicopter tow this or lift this from two cables, one from the rear, one from the front. And it's a faraway shot, so you don't really see the cables that much. And the story was told when the director was ready, the stunt people in the helicopter was to lower, let go the forward cable, and the airplane would swing down as if in the story, the Coast Guard has captured the airplane. So they made, they made this thing very light so that the helicopter could carry it. So there's there was no interior and there's no engine in here. There's a framework in here that just holds the, help, the, the propeller. When we, we knew this airplane was at the actual airport they filmed this at uh, near Key West. And we finally acquired it from the airport owner. The airport acquired airport owner acquired it from the film people. And he just had it out on Highway 1 with a skydiving sign because he had a skydiving business. So I've been sitting out there since the 80s through the storms and everything. We acquired it, acquired it very reasonably. And the owner agreed that he will go ahead and take the wings off for us when we got there. So... Our co-founder, Doug Redenius of the foundation, he and I flew down to Miami, rented a Penske 26-foot 20, box truck, dro drove to Key West, got there at 4 p.m. We thought we were going to get help. Sun is going down. No one's around. And the box truck is like five feet off the ground, the bottom of the box truck. Box truck. So we're looking for wood or something to wheel this thing up in the, in the box truck. We have come-alongs. And Doug says, can we use the wings as ramps? Well, I said, absolutely, because the wings are damaged anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years in the aviation maintenance industry. I did, did uh, like 15 years in general aviation. And I got like 35 years in commercial airline aviation maintenance. So I, I knew the wings would, would hold up, but they would maybe crushed on the top. You don't see the top, they're damaged anyway. So we tried it and we wenched it up from the wings. And these are the wings back here. And these are the tops of the wings. So it, it didn't really damage it too much. This plane by itself is only by a thousand pounds without the engine. The wings are the heaviest. They have steel spars in the front. Leading edge and at the edge, there's a steel bar. That That's the heaviest part of the wing. And it takes four or five guys to take these wings on and off. But two, just two main bolts and a strut that holds it from the fuselage to the wing. So we did that, but we had a problem when we were wenching it up to the opening of the truck. The, the opening of the truck was just a little bit too narrow for the landing gear tires, the main landing gear tires. So it was a good thing that this older model plane had leaf spring gears, struts, and we were able to strap the struts, ratchet them, and, and squeeze the, the tires in and it just barely fit through the door opening. <laughs> yep. So that was it. And it was, it was, it was like February, so it wasn't too bad, you know, but this is probably 30 feet. 
And so we had we drove this plane in the truck with the tail sticking out. Yeah. You know, so we had some pretty good looks you yeah. know, on the way. Now, when you were there, they had the wings taken off already for you, right? Yes. So you were yes. you were like, hey, ramps, this is good. Right, right. right. Yeah. Now, right. earlier you said they released the, when they had the two cables on the plane, they released the forward cable. Forward cable. But it went nose down, didn't it? The, it the did. plane just So moved. the aft cable held the tail. Oh, the aft cable. Okay. So, they were, so that's it. Yeah. So, so this is the actual plane that they use for that. Now, they did also, this is the one that's sitting at the Coast Guard station, right? Uh, oh yes. When they when they lower it. Yeah, down. they actually <laughs> also lowered this down to the safe house. Yeah, right. Yeah, there you and go. then moving, they you see it leaning up against the building in the safe house because they have Sanchez the whole time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that that's really fun to see it there too. Yeah, yeah. it's fabulous. A lot of people miss that in the movie. Yes, because it's, it's, it's a like quick, quick, shot. quick shot. Right, it's a quick shot. When, and once you see it there, you go. oh. Man, that 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 adds so much dimension, make, and it makes sense to, yeah. and easy to go ahead and do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Absolutely, mm -hmm. this is great. That's a fabulous story. Now, there's a couple things about this that I love. Run is what if that plane wouldn't have fit in the box truck they got? <laughs> it almost didn't. <laughs> it almost didn't. Right. And, and they're like, you know, it's kind of tail sticking out at the end of the thing. But then the other thing is, if you're a Bond fan and you like to go to the locations. There's still some stuff online that where this place is mm -hmm. that mentions the plane as a landmark for you. Yeah, yeah on right. Highway One. <laughs> You're not going to find it. It's not there, there anymore. <laughs> it wasn't there when we went. No, no. Right, and so just take you know, just remember you're trying to get to the Sugarloaf Shores Airport. Yeah, because that's where it is. And the plane's not there to be your guide off of Highway 1 anymore. Yeah, we got a great <laughs> podcast, too, on, on License to Kill locations in the Florida Keys. And we actually interviewed the owner of the airport. And he said he had that the plane had just gotten purchased. And we, we thought, we, we know, we think we know who got it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we were right. And we were right, yeah. <laughs> the foundation got it. So right, it's, so you, re it's really cool to see. Again, you hear the story of how they acquired the stuff and the the tremendous effort they go through to go get these things whether they're coming from europe from the florida keys wherever they go they get it they do what they have to do to get it back to where they need it man just unbelievable so well, and the, the other cool part about it is he talked about the fact that the wings were taken off yes but they have the wings they have the wings so when we were there, the plane sitting there without the wings. Yeah, so it right. A little funny, but you look at it, it's like, yep, yeah, that's the plane. Yeah. Although remember, he said there was no engine in it. So. Yeah, no engine in the plane. But very little, cool to own this vehicle and to be able to see it and touch it and to be able to talk about it with Colin was just <laughs> out of this world. Well, that's the cool thing about this is we got to talk to the people who actually did a lot of the work. Yeah. And here, the stories are just, just fascinating. All right, so let's move on, because that Cessna was used at the beginning of License to Kill. Now, the next thing that we were, we're going to talk about is this truck and a Goldfinger plane. And these were two of my favorite things because of the state they were in. Yeah. All right, especially this truck. <laughs> and so, because uh, they're, they're in mid-restoration on the, on the plane. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But this truck is how they got it. Yes. And it is really amazing to see what these guys can do with these vehicles. Now, yeah. again, we don't see the after state on this truck that we're going to talk about here, but we see the before. And that's the cool part because you can see, I'm just waiting to see what they do to that thing. 
Yes. In the restoration process. It's definitely going to look better. <laughs> it is rough right now. <laughs> All right. Now, Tom, you mentioned the truck. Now, this next one's going to be a huge challenge to restore, as we said. It is in rough shape. We're talking about one of the Kenworth trucks that was used at the end of License to Kill. You remember their Sanchez's trucks with the heroin in it and the gasoline? Well, they have the cab of one of these trucks. Unbelievable. This truck is the... Unbelievably is the, bad condition. It's too. in incredibly bad condition, and they'll tell us about that. Yet the foundation has hopes for getting it restored. We'll again let Colin Clark walk us through the particulars about this truck, and it's fascinating. All right, let's hear from Colin. Hi, I'm uh, Colin Clark. I'm on the board of directors at Liam Fleming Foundation. Uh, I've been with the foundation since 2001 as a volunteer, and uh, the board added me to the board of directors in 2016. I work in uh, aircraft maintenance for 40 years, so they appreciate my maintenance abilities to help maintain the vehicles and restore them. This vehicle here, you're not going to be able to recognize very well because of condition of it, but this is the one of the three modified Kenworth trucks from the movie License to Kill with Timothy Dalton in 1989. And uh, the story is the villain Sanchez, he's uh, hauling cocaine in the tankers of, of four or five trucks, but three of them were modified for the scene. There is one vehicle that truck that was modified to do a, a pop-up wheelie so Bond can drive it through a fire. Another vehicle was used to modified to have a driver in the sleeper car. So the Bond girl that was driving, uh, Carrie Lowell, she wouldn't have to drive the truck. So they drove the truck with the driver in the, in the sleeper. And the third truck did a side wheelie. And what's interesting about this is that uh, it's amazing to do a side wheelie with this thing with a tanker. And uh, Remy Julian was the um, was a sunk car driver in this, and he did an amazing job doing this. So we acquired this after the film. At least this truck made it back to Portland. They are all modified at the Seattle Kenworth plant and then shipped down to Mexico. And then after the film, this one made it back to eventually Portland to a fire rescue training uh, college. And they've been there for a long time, many, many, 10, 15 years. And we knew it was there. We wanted to acquire it. So we acquired it and made it back here. But uh, the um, interesting part about this truck is that you don't really see anything special about this until you walk around to the other side of the truck and there's uh, the pop-out wheelie in the sleeper that they modify. So I don't know if you want to go around and, and see that side of the truck. So when we acquired her from the college, they someone had some along the line put a different nose on this. It, had, it was the wrong paint colors. It was the wrong type. It was damaged, so we just took it off recently. But you could see the stripes from the film. And uh, also inside, the roll bar framing for the special effects that they added. And you go to the sleeper, and this is the pop-out wheelie modification that they added. So you don't see this in the movie because the filming is all done on the other side of the truck. But it literally did a side wheelie for... 
you know, a hundred yards or whatever. But the fun thing about this truck for license to kill, we have a substantial vehicle from the beginning of the film, the opening title sequence with one of the Cessna 172s. And then this one with the, the end scene, you know, with the, the three modified Kenmore trucks. All right. I mean, this, this is incredible. We're not only seeing these actual vehicles, but we're getting part of the movie magic that goes into the making of these movies all right here with these guys at the Ian Fleming Foundation. Yeah, and when you watch the movie, you're, you're sitting here going, okay, now that cab does a wheelie. <laughs> this one goes on its, on two, on its side. You don't when you're watching it, you don't think about how the mechanics of that are done. Right. But here you get to kind of see what it looks like. And tremendous modifications they had to make to these vehicles to do what they do in the movies. And and we're hearing it. This is it's all cool. This is great stuff, right? Absolutely. <laughs> all right, we're gonna leave license to kill and we're talking about a very large vehicle from Skyfall. I'm talking about the big cat excavator. That was used in Skyfall. You remember that one. I mentioned this up front when Doug Redenius was moving the Mustang from Diamonds Are Forever with it. This is the one that Bond uses to connect and grab the train car in front of him after it had been decoupled. And then he climbs on top of it. And then he jumps back into he jumps into the car in front of him after he does that and he's you know straightening his cuffs out like he's so cool. Well, this is the vehicle. From the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> the Ian Fleming Foundation got this from Caterpillar. And Tom and I got to jump into the cab and have a look from the inside out, sitting right where Daniel Craig was sitting. Oh. That was pretty That was pretty cool, especially, I mean, that was a pretty big getting up. You know, that was pretty <laughs> big hype for me to get up to. Yeah, it was but, tough. But... Uh, the other thing is what I didn't really realize, and you don't, again, like you don't realize exactly what they have to do to these vehicles to make them do what they do in the movie. Yeah. This, they needed a special excavator for this. This wasn't the standard. No. Because the cat excavators have the cab on the left side of the vehicle normally. And, well, except for the one here in Skyfall, <laughs> where the cab is on the right. Yep. So Caterpillar specially built this thing for the movie. Yes. With the cab on the right. Now, when we're there, you can see there's controls to the left. <laughs> and that's where the person who was really working, the excavator, was. But if you go back, I went back afterwards and I watched this scene yeah. in the movie, and you don't see that. Yeah. It looks like, you know, it looks like James Bond's really working this thing yeah. instead of somebody who's sitting to his left. Yeah, yeah, so it was, yeah. it was really cool. It was, it was absolutely fascinating. The whole thing was custom-built, size-wise, everything for the movie by Caterpillar. And Doug Redenius has a tremendous story in the other podcast episode we mentioned before about the foundation, uh, how they acquired it. You can take a listen to that too. So <laughs> just tremendously good stuff here. All right, you gotta love the whole thing, that all of the movie magic that goes into making the movies. And then here they are. Here's the vehicles that were in the movies and the effort that these guys are making to find these vehicles, acquire these vehicles, and restore these vehicles so that we, the general public, could go out and see them. Now, Tom and I got the chance to actually touch them and sit in them at exhibitions. Yeah, I mean, we, got in, we got into this excavator. Like, yeah, you, at exhibitions, you can't do that. And it was so cool to be able to climb into the seat where Craig sat. I mean, that it's, it's just, it was fun. 
And the two bullet holes that are in the windshield of the Caterpillar that when they're shooting at Bond from, from the train, there, there they are. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is uh, good stuff. Absolutely. All right, now, I mentioned that the first thing I saw was this helicopter from From Russia With Love. Yeah. And so they have the helicopter that was used in the chase scene when James Bond was running across that plateau, and the guys in the helicopter were trying to kill him. Right, you, you saw it come after them when they were in the truck, and then he's running on the on the plateau. Now, this thing is like 60 years old. It's a thing of beauty. Yes, it is. And the, the foundation did a great job with this. It just looks almost brand new. And I, the other thing I loved about this is they have fake hand grenades on the back of the seat in this helicopter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you watch the movie, the hand grenades aren't there. The, yeah. But the guy's messing around with a hand grenade. Right. Here, they've got them mounted on the seat like you could just grab one and try to throw it down. So that's the kind of fun stuff they do also with the restorations is tie you back to what you remember seeing in the movie. Yeah. Now, just imagine seeing this helicopter from the movie, from one of the best Bond movies ever made, from Russia with Love. And got to sit in it. (laughs) Yeah, and it's not just any old helicopter, right? So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. I'm just glad we didn't have to go on a ride in it, because you know my love of heights. Uh, Yeah, right, yeah. I'm not particularly fond of helicopter rides either. I did one in Maui once. I was willing to pay the guy three times as much to land it. (laughs) (laughs) You get a different feeling in a helicopter. But I got to sit in it, which was really cool. So, again, hard to believe that they own this iconic vehicle, one of the most iconic vehicles of any James Bond movie, really. The helicopter from Russia with Love. Yikes. Wow. All right, there are a lot more vehicles at the Foundation than the ones we talked about so far. And again, about 20-something of them were out on exhibition in different parts of the world. They have one of the green Jaguars that drove on the ice in Die Another Day. Yeah. They have the Ford Mustang Mach 1 boss that we mentioned, the 429 Cobra. That was used in the scene Diamonds Are Forever, as we mentioned. They have one of the underwater sleds from Thunderball. They got all kinds of stuff that we were able to see on these two days. So you're not going to list out all 43 of these I'm not. No, we're not. We're going to talk about some of the other ones that we saw when we were there. But, man, you talk about some of this stuff that they have. And then you think about the, the performance of these vehicles in the movies, and here they are. We're looking at them. We're honored to be able to work on them and touch them and be able to say, wow, this was in From Russia With Love. This was in Die Another Day. Oh, man. Ah, anyway. Well, even, yeah, like the Green Jaguar. I mean, all of these things had to be modified, or many of these vehicles had to be modified for the movies. Yes. So, like, even something like Die Another Day, they didn't use the regular gas tank. Because they needed that space for something. Yeah, the Jaguar. Zao's Jaguar. Yeah. Which is a gorgeous car with the machine gun mounted in the back and the missiles in the front grill and so on. We saw all that. That was that. I got to sit in Zao's Jaguar, which which (laughs) was very cool. Well, they actually were doing some work on the gas tank. Not a gas tank underneath that holds 20 gallons or 15 (laughs) gallons. 
No, it was this little gas tank in the trunk about like that. That it was custom made for this car for the movie. It's like, when you see this stuff, you're just fascinated. You're, just, you're blown away. Well, you go, and that's, that's the cool part uh, about what we got to experience. Because yeah. when you see these in the, in the museums, you don't get that experience. But be, you know, being able to sit there and see what they actually had to do with these things. As you're, you know, in the movies and then for the restoration, it just blew me away. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Like we said, the, the Mustang, there it is sitting there. The, the, they've got a Honda ATV 90 ATV vehicle that was, that was used also in Diamonds Are Forever. They've got stuff from Moonraker, like the Glastron CV 23 HT boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the boat that's often it's often compared to like the Aston Martin DB5. It's got the hidden rocket launchers, the floating mines, and all, all this other stuff. All of this gadgetry that was seen used on this boat actually worked. So th- this was like tremendous. This this is the boat from Moonraker, the one that leaps over the wa- off the waterfalls with uh, where Bond escapes with the wing. Right? Yep. They have that boat there. <laughs> They've got the Q-boat from The World Is Not Enough. they got the Q-boat. It, just, it, it was just like, it just kept going. And the Q-boat actually works. Doug Redinius has actually driven this on water. It's just <laughs> like, amazing. Live and let die. They got the Glastron GT150 boat. Yeah, that's used. That makes the leap over the police car. They have that boat. And lots of other stuff. <laughs> the Q-boat, like you mentioned, Tom. That's one of the favorites. There it is. We're looking at it. The Cuba from the world is not enough. Uh, okay, Dan. So let's go ahead. Instead of going through, you know, now I want to talk vehicles. about the one we waxed and washed. <laughs> okay, go Tom, ahead. They did find something that Tom and I could do. We washed <laughs> and waxed a vehicle. <laughs> and we're very happy to do it. We were. Right? We were thrilled. We're looking for more. We organized. It was, some, it was a way for us to contribute because we couldn't do a lot of this. Yeah, stuff. we organized some other things and posters yeah. and whatever. They've got a million things there. But the background vehicle, this is a background vehicle. It was a 1984 Russian Lada Neva. And it's in the world. It's not enough. It's a background vehicle when they get to Kazakhstan and, and Bond, not being Bond, he's playing a Russian. Uh, he meets Christmas Jones there. Well, this is a vehicle that's in the background for maybe a second or two. <laughs> But it's there. And it's Tom, there. Tom and I got to wash and wax that thing, and it looked pretty darn nice after we finished, didn't it, Tom? <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> <laughs> well, a minute ago, we mentioned the underwater sled from Thunderball. The Ian Fleming Foundation also has a scale model of the Vulcan. Well, one of the members working there this weekend was Gary Rosenfeld, and he has a great Thunderball story to tell. So here he is. Hi, I'm Gary Rosenfeld. I have an interesting Thunderball story. Uh, When I was a kid, my father's good friend was one of the divers that was in Thunderball. He performed uh, the stunts and he was underwater for both the orange, meaning the good guys, and the black, the bad guys. One thing of note was the fact that in one of the scenes, in the underwater fight scene, he was flipped over and the spear went through his mask. I have the mask. He replaced the glass for me, as well as giving me his wrist compass. He was a dear friend of my father, as I said. 
He was a motorcycle police officer on the Hollywood Police Department in Hollywood, Florida. And he used to take me around to my dad's shop all the time on his motorcycle. So I used to ride in the back of the motorcycle on a big Harley. It's still present in my life because I have it on my shelf. And I still have the wrist compass, and it's one of my little treasures. And behind me is one of the underwater sleds that was used in Thunderball. My father's friend was actually one of the divers. When he was in that scene, he was pushing, or he was being towed by one of these sleds. And he was taken, and then he was flicked over, and then the stabbing of the face mask happened. So this is part of my history as well. That was a great story. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode by taking a look at a huge restoration job that they're working on now. This they is have, enormous. This is enormous. <laughs> they have the front part of the Jetstar from Goldfinger. Yeah. You know, Goldfinger's plane that led to Goldfinger's demise. Well, his demise was on the military transport plane, but it's the same plane they use in the movie for both Goldfinger's plane and the military transport plane that's going to bring Bond to the White House for a luncheon with the president, as you recall. The thing was in very bad shape when they got it. They don't have the whole plane, but they've got the cockpit back to about 25 feet. So enough of the plane, probably half the plane, and it's amazing what they're doing with it. Well, and the other thing, too, with this plane is that Doug talked about this this project that they're doing with this and a little bit of the history of this plane that I don't think we're going to get into here, but if you want to hear the history of who's ridden in this plane, yeah. take a listen to the interview we did with Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's, it's fascinating, again, what they do to find this stuff, and then some of the history of it as well, like Tom just mentioned. So let's listen as we do a quick walkthrough. All right. I'm Bond, James Bond. Goldfingers Jet, yes. And here's the cockpit. It's all being restored here at the Ian Fleming Foundation. The cockpit. This is where Pussy Galore was flying the plane. And this is where Bond comes into the plane. This is unbelievable what they're doing with this. They've got about a 22-foot section of the plane. And they're restoring it to its original condition. It's amazing what they're doing cleaning it up. They're going to re-put in instruments in, recalibrate everything. It's going to be spectacular. You can kind of look at the cockpit here and see what they're working on, working on everything. But look at that. Yeah, there you go. Honor Blackman was right here. Steve Targosi will tell us about what he is doing to restore this vehicle, this now, he's not doing field. the whole thing himself, right? But He's working he, on it, but he's one of the main guys working on it, and he has a lot of tremendous background in aviation. The level of detail is just quite amazing. Let's take a listen to Steve telling us what's going on. So you get a little bit of air. You could turn these lights on and off if you wanted to. Very cool. These are all 20, uh, 12 volt DC LED lights. This airplane was originally a 24 volt DC system. Of course, uh, everything's been ripped out. So yep. I've rewired everything 12 volt DC. Jeez. So rewired everything. The speakers are original. Oh, why? So the, the uh, some of them 
are cracked, but they're still working. And you got to keep them in a somewhat low volume. See what I mean? It's a 10, 10 amp radio. I put in five. I'll probably bring it down to three amps. So if somebody wants to crank it, they'll blow the fuse before it blows the speakers. <laughs> There's an idea. And wow. here, we got some instruments here. Yeah. Can you move Can you go up? This here, this is uh, how we got everything working. This is a 12-volt uh, converter to a fuse bus bar to a switching panel. It's and I had to rewire this whole thing because there was two 40-amp fuses. So I ripped off the fuses from here because I have the fuses over here. Wow. So, um, and then I put this, this is... We got this from Mike over at that uh, a junkyard, and I hooked up the speakers <laughs> to to all of this. So you know we could turn everything on and off from here. Wow. But by and large, what I've done is I hooked up all the lights to switches in the cockpit, so you could turn on and off the uh, no smoking seatbelt signs, uh, the uh, wing inspection light. No. In the uh on the side of the aircraft. So this is max baggage baggage weight three hundred pounds. Yeah. So we're we're gonna have a bunch of dome lights up over here also. Oh. So be... I'll show you up in the cockpit. Look at that. So you come on up here. So when you first come in, the crew would look at the uh the announcer panel. So you have like the door uh, cabin doors open. Wow. Brake pressure's low, fuel's low, thrust reverser pressure's low, all this stuff here. Now here you see like the normal bus tie is open. That's not supposed to be like that, so that's when you would call maintenance <laughs> to have them fix it. But then we got a switch here, so you, you want to make sure all of the, wow. the announcer panel works. You got your three landing gear lights, and you got a gear to uh, safe handle test. Over here. And of course, Pussy Galore, she knew all this stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got an aux hydraulic pump. You could turn that on. Oh, my God. Over here. Colin is the one that made the uh, the radar. Uh, this is our fire T handles that this are your four engines. So you have it. If you have a fire, you pull this the, the handle out and it shuts off fuel hydraulics, wow. trips the generator and all. And you go down here, you test, it's the aft compartment overheat. But when we go like this, as a crewman member, that's not completely a valid test. So what, because we'll keep it on in the museums like this. Normally, for a crew member testing that, I put a, a switch over here that nobody knows about. Because <laughs> it's not supposed to be like this. So now when you do a test... The uh, fire T handles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get the uh, the bell. Also, we have the uh, um, it's a smoke detector light that comes on over here. You can see this light is on, and these lights are on. It's this is amazing. So we got this, uh, and you're working with half a plane uh, yeah. about. So I could turn all these lights off here. If you're running at night, you could run with just the uh, red light. The no smoking seatbelt signs work. 
the uh wing inspection light works <laughs> so uh what was this like when you got it i'll show you pictures mm. it was a rat trap <laughs> uh, literally i bet for me to wire up just a bell and run the wire there's a, a bell over here where it originally was to come up all the way around here took me eight or nine hours just to run the wires wow, wow. i've been working on this for i can't tell you how long and um to, you i have four terminals over here for power and to try to could you look at the back of this these cannon plugs there's copious amounts of wires and i had to find out which wire was what because there was no oh my god no schematic to be had so uh, my wife tells me when I get buried, I'm going to be buried with my multimeter because she knows whenever I'm walking around, I have a multimeter in hand. <laughs> and that's how I, that's how I did all of this. It's amazing. So this is, yeah. this has been many, many, many hours. How much longer do you think? Uh... It's getting close. <laughs> it's getting close. I, I took out the uh, fuel panel over here to kind of clean it up mm -hmm. and uh, I mounted the radar um so um it doesn't flop around but right right will all the all the instruments be inserted in well, all the we are in the process of trying to get some funding in or contacts to yeah try to do that wow when you say funding what does it cost to get something like that I, you know that's a good question well what these instruments Let's here them first are uh paperweights they're they're nobody uses them anymore um because mm. even if you did have something a jet like this to get these instruments certified i don't even know if there's anybody that still does that so it's like if you had these instruments what's what is it to, what's the value to you to give it to me right oh so, yeah. you know i, I so, don't know so uh we did talk to well we got this jet and just some of these uh here instruments here i thought it, there was a figure of something like sixteen thousand mm. dollars which okay yeah that's the figure i remember so you know we'll, we're going to find it it's just a matter of time to yeah. find yeah. it but are are they easily found or are they just is it the price that's stopping you both these instruments are not just intrinsic to the jet star they're used for, in, okay. in other jets too so we could find different uh, gauges. So mm -hmm. It's just, you know, they're they're in some shop or somebody's basement somewhere. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> we 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 got a the hunt. Yeah, is on. exactly. It's so if you have them sitting in your basement, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that's that's where we at right now. Yeah, it really is amazing. I mean, just uh, just to do this. And to have this vehicle, yeah, this iconic gold finger vehicle, yeah. and be working on it is just absolutely stunning. Oh, I just, I, I, I'm tickled pink to be part of it. Yeah. And, and you know, when I, I told Doug, I didn't want this to be a static display in, in museum dark. I wanted to bring this old girl back to life as much as we could, and Man. we're doing it. Now that was so cool, and I love the way he ended that. Yeah. And it really hit home when I got home and I was telling my beautiful wife about this. And I was telling her about this huge restoration and 
This guy's making the lights relight and the bells work and the stuff in the cockpit works. And they're trying to make it look as close as they can to what it was in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, now my wife doesn't share my devotion to spy movies. And she asked me, why would they do this? The plane won't be able to fly as it is, and it's going to be sitting in a museum. People aren't likely to be able to touch all these buttons. And what I really like is, if you listen to what Steve said at the end, I want to bring this old girl back to life. And that's really what the Ian Fleming Foundation does. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. It's a huge effort, and some of the stuff isn't going to be inexpensive. So again, you can donate to their cause if you go to ianflemingfoundation.org. Yeah, it's important to do that because we love seeing these vehicles out there. And again, this is the organization, one of the few in the world that allows us to be able to do this. So again, we want to point out that this Goldfinger Lockheed Jetstar was used for both Goldfinger's plane and the military transport plane that was going to bring Bond to the White House at the end. In fact, the Ian Fleming Foundation owns one of only a couple of scale models of the Lockheed Jetstar. And on one side of the model, it's painted with the Oric Goldfinger logo and everything. And on the other side, it's painted with the military uh, U.S. transport stuff. So You've got to love movie magic. Yeah, you and they use this it. model in all of the flying sequences. So when you see the clouds floating by, it's this model they're using, and they could use it for both planes, which was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. All right, so, all right, we've talked about a lot of the vehicles that we saw at the Ian Fleming Foundation that we were able to touch and work on. Tom and I were privileged and honored to be able to attend this work weekend. It was so cool. And meet some of these fabulous people and talented people that work on these projects. The Ian Fleming Foundation is one of the few in the world that allows us to be able to see these vehicles on exhibition in different parts of the world. So, and to support them, you can go to ianflemingfoundation.org, as Tom mentioned, and there is a donate button, and you can help them out by doing that as well. So we are thrilled to be able to do this. So that's a wrap for the show, and we look forward to seeing more of these vehicles being acquired by the Ian Fleming Foundation and restored and put out on exhibition, and we thank them for the charity work that they do as well. Thank you. And I'm going to be creating some videos of some of these vehicles we saw, some of them we didn't even talk today. Yes. You'll be able to see them on our YouTube channel, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Yeah, so check that out for sure. we got a lot of other cool videos on our YouTube channel. And please subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, for your favorite podcast app. That really helps us out, and we really appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you. All right, this is Dan and Tom saying goodbye for now. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it.